Kings chapter 19, if you would like to follow along. 1 Kings 19, this morning we come to verse 9 through 18. If you've been with us in the evenings, we've been making our way through the latter part of 1 Kings and considering the prophet Elijah, his life and ministry, his message. Elijah's name means the Lord is God, the Lord is my God. Last time we considered Elijah struggling, weak and weary, and God ministering to him, sending an angel to give him food and rest. And now Elijah makes his way down to Mount Horeb, and once again God is going to interact with him and minister to him and teach him and humble him and show that he is still at work in this world. And so let's give our attention to God's word Once again this morning, I'll begin reading at verse 7 for a little bit more of the context and read down through verse 18. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank And went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, And killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Ebel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. 
And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah, Elisha, excuse me, put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. We will end the reading of God's word there. Let's stop and pray to him together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we ask now that you would use it in our hearts and lives. Lord, we've been reminded from Psalm 139 that you search us and know us. You know our thoughts, you know our rising, our sitting, our coming and going. Lord, you know where we are this morning. And we pray that you would minister to us as you ministered to Elijah. And we pray that you would use your word in us now by your spirit for your glory and for our good. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, on the last mountain that we encountered in 1 Kings, Mount Carmel, God showed his awesome power as he sent fire from heaven. He gave a clear message to his rebelling people. He was God. He was God and he was alive and he was powerful and he was merciful. And Baal was a false god. Well, now in 1 Kings 19, we find ourselves on another mountain, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. And God again shows his power, but this time it's to one lonely, struggling man. And while the message was very clear on the last mountain, this message is more subtle and complex. God is not in the weather that he sends as he passes by, and he doesn't speak through it. But instead, he quietly sends his word to his prophet, giving him the opportunity to voice his heart and assuring him that he is still at work, that he still has work for Elijah, giving him a glimpse of his plans, reminding him that he is still God and he is in control. He sees and he knows and he is at work. On Mount Carmel, we saw his power, and on Mount Horeb, we see his care. We see his care for his people, both collectively for all of his people, but individually, his care for this one individual. We see his faithfulness. He is faithful when his people are not. He is faithful when his people are weak and despairing and lonely, like Elijah. He's faithful in both judgment and mercy. He doesn't let evil go unpunished, nor, he, nor does he let evil prevail. But rather, he's faithful to preserve a remnant, to build his church, to encourage and sustain his servants. And he continues to call his people to serve him as he calls Elijah. And so the message for all of you this morning is that your God is faithful. 
That's what we need to hear together this morning from Psalm, not Psalm, from 1 Kings 19. Your God, our God, is faithful. He is faithful to his people. He speaks to and ministers to his people. He loves his people. He preserves his people. He he is at work in this world and in human history. And because of this, we need to trust him. We need to wait on him. We need to not expect him to work in the ways that we might want or we might expect. Elijah slips into that. We must not expect him to work in ways that are always outwardly impressive. We must not think that God is not at work because we don't see it or we don't feel it. Or it doesn't come when and how we would want. Or because we feel all alone like Elijah. We need to expect God to keep his word to be God, to be faithful, to carry out his plans, and to use us in his plans. And so, people of God, the call to you this morning from God's word, from 1 Kings 19, is this. Trust in your faithful God. Know that he is at work in this world. Know that he is faithful, that he is alive, that he is carrying out his plans. Trust in him and do the work that he has called you to as he is at work in this world. Walk by faith in him and in his word, knowing that he is faithful. Well, let's dig into this beautiful passage together more this morning. And I want us to consider first the word of the Lord. God once again sends his word to his prophet. Listen again to verse 8 and following. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah travels further south after the Lord feeds him. And he travels to Horeb. And this is a most significant place. This is where Moses encountered the burning bush. Uh, This is Mount Sinai, where God brought his people after bringing them out of Egypt. It's a most significant place in covenant history, redemptive history. This is where God made his covenant with his people and gave them his law and taught them to worship him. This is where, if you remember, this is where his people, just after... Uh, being redeemed out of Egypt, this is where they rebelled against him with the golden calf. And Moses had to plead with God, uh, who was ready to destroy them and move on. And God was merciful. This is where Moses went up on the mountain and where uh, God uh, came down and the mountain was wrapped in fire and cloud and thunder. And so this all suggests that Elijah's flight South to Horeb is not just this fearful escape, but rather a purposeful plan and a purposeful place. And there in a cave, God sends his word once again to his struggling prophet. And his word comes in the form of a question. And it's a question that we hear again that's repeated later in verse 13. The question is, what are you doing here, 
Elijah. Now, is this question a rebuke? What are you doing here, Elijah? We don't hear the Lord speak this question. We don't know the tone. But I think that God is actually graciously asking Elijah to state what is on his heart and why he has made this journey, why he is where he is. Elijah, why Mount Sinai? Why here? Why now? One writer says this is both a covenantal and a pastoral question. It's covenantal because Elijah is a prophet returning to this mountain where the covenant was made and broken. But it's a pastoral question because this man is all alone. And he's deeply discouraged and he's confused and he's weary. Elijah, tell me your heart. Where are you? Why are you here? Speak to me. Unburden your soul to me. God often asks questions to draw out the truth, to gently lead us and bring us to where we need to be, bring us towards him. And God is omniscient. God knows all things. He knows exactly what's going on in Elijah. He knows why Elijah's there. This question is for Elijah's benefit. He's being gentle and gracious. He's guiding and teaching him. And I want you to listen to how Elijah responds to this question. And he repeats this answer verbatim later. But verse 10, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Now, Elijah needs to know that he is not the only faithful worshiper of God, and God is going to tell him that later. But this is not a self-centered, self-righteous answer as some see it to be. Elijah is simply answering God's question. He is stating what he really sees and what he feels. He's being honest with God. He's explaining why he's there at Mount Horeb, the mount of God, he says, I've been very jealous for you. God, I've rightly been concerned for your honor and your worship. You are the Lord of hosts. You are the God who saved your people. You're the God who deserves their loyalty and worship. But I am here because they have forsaken you. They've forsaken the covenant that you entered into with them at this mountain, even though you had redeemed them even though you had poured out grace on them. And God, it's so bad, they've thrown down your altars. They've they've thrown down and trampled on your worship. They've thrown down your word. They've killed your prophets. They care not for your word. They've broken the second table of the law. They're murderers. And God, it seems like I am the only one left interested in still being yours still worshiping you and trusting and obeying you. God, when you formed this people and entered into covenant with them, you called them to love you and to live by your word, and they are not doing any of it. They've blown it. They are failing. And God, I am here because your people have forsaken 
the right. They've really forsaken the right to be your people. They've broken the relationship with you. They have broken the covenant. And God, you know, I've sought their repentance. I've sought their reform. We did great things together on Mount Carmel, but it hasn't worked. And your people are lost. And I don't know what to do next. I don't know what you're doing, God. I'm out of ideas. I'm out of hope. It seems that it is time for you to act and to judge your people, your covenant breakers. God, that is why I am here. And twice, this is Elijah's exact answer. And we're going to consider God's response. But I want you to consider with this initial question from God, this word from God asking Elijah why he is there. I want you to see God's gentle faithfulness. He has not left Elijah. He's not left Israel in their sins and simply thrown up his hands and and said, well, I don't know what to do next. He sends his word to Elijah and searches his heart. He seeks the truth. He leads Elijah to express the truth. He knows Elijah. He knows Israel. He knows what they need. And brothers and sisters, the same is true today. God knows you. He knows his people. He knows the world that we are living in. He knows the exact situation. And his word searches our hearts. It drives us to him. It drives us to pour out our hearts to him. God's word questions us. It asks us, what are we doing Why are we where we are? And are we living in light of who he is and and what he has said? In light of reality? And you might imagine God asking you this question this morning or a similar question. Son or daughter, what are you doing here? Why are you here this morning? Why are you where you are? And of course, you and I are not prophets. We are not on Mount Sinai. We're not living in ancient Israel. But we are his people. And he knows us and he loves us. And he knows exactly what we need. He knows that we live in complex times. He knows that we are still battling sin in our own hearts and all around us. He knows that we're wrestling to try to understand what we perceive along with the truth of his word. Brothers and sisters, do you allow God's word to search you? To examine your heart? To ask you, why are you where you are? To ask deep questions? To draw out your burdens and your purposes? To minister to you? That's what God does for Elijah with his word. And his word comes to Elijah again in response. And so I want us to see second this morning how God sends weather, weather from the Lord, these, these great signs of his power. Look again with me at verse 11 and following. This is how God responds to Elijah's answer. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Kids, I want you to imagine being on this mountain. Imagine seeing and hearing this, and you would be very thankful for the shelter of that cave. You would wonder if you would even survive this wind and these earthquakes. It would really humble you and put you in your place. It would have reminded Elijah of God's sheer greatness and power, of his sovereign control over all things. And really, it recalls God coming down on Mount Sinai to Moses and giving the law. Our text tells us that God passes by, but with each new powerful force, he was not in it. What's going on here? Why is God showing this display of force? Well, I think God is responding not only to Elijah's words, but to his discouragement. He's responding to Elijah's righteous jealousy for him. He's responding to his loneliness, to Elijah's burden for Israel's rebellion. Elijah wanted God to thunder in judgment and to shake the earth, to shake his people to humility and repentance. And he probably thought, God, why not send another awesome display of power? Why not bring either revival or judgment? And so God is showing Elijah what he wanted Israel to see. God essentially says, Elijah, you want wind? You want fire? You want earthquake? Well, that's easy. I can do all of that if I want to. I could do all of that if that was my plan. It may be what you want. It may be what the people want. Power and noise and drama. This is one of the reasons why Baal was so popular. He was the storm god, the god of the weather. But in this, God is saying to Elijah, I can do all of that. But it is not my plan. It is not my will. It's not my way. And so he shows all of this to Elijah, but then the noise and the weather is followed by this quiet voice. Listen again to verse 12 and 13. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, you've heard this before, And said, what are you doing here, Elijah? After all of the noise, after the demonstration of sheer force and power, there is a sound of a low whisper, a still, small voice. And it gets Elijah's attention. God is not going to work through the loud and the powerful. He is not going to speak in that way, but he softly whispers, to Elijah. And so Elijah comes out to the entrance of the cave and he comes out with his face wrapped in his cloak. Probably not because he's, he's so ashamed and depressed, he doesn't want to see God, but rather to shield himself from God's glory and God's holiness. Because he was a sinner. 
Because no man may see God and live. And like Moses, who God placed in the cleft of the rock and shielded as he passed by with his glory, Elijah is shielded from the full glory and holiness of God. But he hears his word in this quiet voice. And God again asks the very same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And this is meant to minister to Elijah, to teach him, to show him that God's ways are not his. And it was not God's plan to shake heaven and earth and bring immediate judgment or revival. And that's likely what Elijah wanted, what he longed for. We know he was very jealous for God. He wanted God to show his power and his justice visibly as he had just seen it in the weather on the mountain. And that was not a wrong desire. It was good and right. This was a holy zeal and jealousy. And yet it was not God's plan. God could do that if he wanted to. He was fully capable of all of that. But he's teaching Elijah, Elijah, be patient, be humble, trust me, let me be God, wait on me, wait on my word, submit to and accept my plans and my ways. Elijah, I'm jealous for my glory too, more than you can even understand, and I will see to it, but in my way and in my timing and through my means, primarily through my word. No, it's not outwardly impressive. No, my word does not shake mountains or break rocks. It's like a low whisper. And yet it breaks hearts. It penetrates souls. It does exactly God's will. It brings both judgment and mercy. And it's actually far more powerful and effective And brothers and sisters, we need this lesson as well. Because we may wonder like Elijah. We may be discouraged like him and think, God, why don't you just convert the lost? Why don't you just build your church? Why don't you hurry up and get things done? God, why don't you put righteous people in power? Why don't you defeat all your enemies? Why don't you just bring your kingdom immediately? Sanctify us quickly and powerfully. God, where is the wind and the fire and the earthquake? But God works in his ways and in his time. Often through a low whisper. Often in what is not outwardly loud or impressive to our eyes and ears. He works through his word, through what men consider foolish and weak. He works through the preaching of the cross. He works through suffering and not always success. He works in a kingdom that's like a mustard seed, small and overlooked. His son, our savior, would be a suffering servant, not an earthly victorious king. He would die on a cross and not wear A crown. God is teaching Elijah. He's teaching you and me. Wait upon me. Wait upon my word. Trust me. 
put aside all of your hopes and your expectations and trust me to be God. Know that I am at work even if you don't see it. Even if it's in ways that you would not expect or not want. Ways that are not outwardly obvious and impressive like the weather on the mountain to our earthly eyes. Even if we have deep disappointments and discouragements. Brothers and sisters, do you know that God is faithful? That he is powerful? That he is at work in this world and he will carry out his purposes in his ways? He works through his means in weakness, quietly, in whispers, through his word. And so trust in him. Wait on him. Know that he is God. Well, God continues to speak to and to encourage Elijah. And he goes on and he calls Elijah third to work for the Lord. Let's consider that this morning. Third, work for the Lord. Look with me at verse 15 and 16. After Elijah's second answer, with the same words, God says, The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. This time after the very same reply from Elijah to God's question, it's as if God responds to him and says, Elijah, I know all of this. I know you feel alone. I know you're jealous for me. I know that Israel is in great sin. I know they've broken my covenant. Here's my plan. I'm not done with you. I am not done with my people. Your expectations and your hopes are not mine. They're not my plans. But take hope and take heart. I am not going to leave the guilty unpunished. I'm not going to leave you alone. I still have work for you. God doesn't explain everything to Elijah. He doesn't explain his sovereign, mysterious will, his full plan of redemptive history, but he shows him some of it. He's going to respond to the covenant unfaithfulness. He's going to continue to use Elijah. And so he says to Elijah, go. Go, I still have work for you. I want you to anoint Hazael of Syria and Jehu, king of Israel. And now we might hear that this morning and think, well, God, how does that fit the situation? How's that minister to Elijah? How's that relevant to what's going on in Israel? Well, we're not going to talk about it a lot this morning, but Hazael and Jehu would be instruments of God's judgment. God's judgment on Israel and especially the house of Ahab. God is not letting all of the wickedness and the idolatry go unchecked. They would be used by God to punish the wickedness and idolatry. To cut off the line of Ahab. And this would have communicated to Elijah, God sees the evil. He sees the unfaithfulness. He knows the hard hearts and he will be faithful himself. He will bring just judgment. But then he goes on and he tells Elijah to go and anoint 
Elisha. Elijah, go anoint a successor, an assistant, a prophet to carry on your work. And this would have been an encouragement too. Elijah's ministry of the, the word was not dying with him. It hit, the ministry of God's word in Israel was not ended. God was not utterly forsaking his people. Elijah's ministry would be passed on and carried on through Elisha. And so God shows mercy and faithfulness to this one discouraged man, Elijah, Elijah, and calling him to more work and giving him hope for the future. And God's faithfulness to his people collectively as he puts the pieces in place for both judgment and mercy, for punishment to be carried out and for blessing, for future prophetic ministry. And friends, this should be an encouragement to you and me this morning as well. Often when we are overwhelmed and discouraged and not knowing what God is doing, we need to pour out our hearts to him. And then we need to be reminded by him that he is still at work. That he knows our hearts. He knows our burdens. He knows our situation. He knows the evil in this world. And he's not aloof. He is not passive. He has a plan and he has work for us to do. He will provide. He calls us to trust him and by faith go and do what he has called us to do. Do his work. And another way he encourages us is he reminds us that we are not alone. And he does that for Elijah as well. He tells Elijah, and this is the last thing I want you to see this morning, that there are many more worshipers of the Lord. Elijah, you're not alone. There are many more worshipers of me who have not bowed to Baal. In verse 17, God tells him that his judgment will be carried out completely. But then his last word in verse 18 of our passage is this beautiful word of grace and encouragement and faithfulness. Look again at 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Remember twice Elijah has said, God, I am the only one left. And, and he feels that he's been a failure, that Baal has won, and that all hope is lost. But God tells him, no, Elijah, you're not alone. I have a remnant. I've preserved a people who are not idolaters. You feel all alone. And I understand that. Certainly you are outnumbered, but you are not all alone in resisting Baal, in worshiping the true God. And this is not so much of a rebuke of Elijah, but a, a correction and an encouragement. God knows his people. He will preserve his people. And while many have forsaken him and deserve judgment, there are still thousands who are blessed by him and who have been preserved by his grace. Elijah's ministry has not been a failure. God has used it precisely for what he wanted to accomplish. And he's actually not all alone. And what is true in 1 Kings 19 will always be true. God will always preserve his people. He will always be faithful to his church. He will always have a people on earth. And Paul, the apostle, makes 
this very point in Romans 11. And he actually picks up this story and and quotes from verse 18. There in Romans, Paul raises the question, has God rejected his people? That was what Elijah was wondering. That's what Elijah was thinking. It seemed like he had. But Paul answers that question. He says, by no means. God has not rejected his people. And then he cites God's response in verse 18 here. And then he says, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And not only will there be a remnant of Israel in Elijah's day, worshiping God, and in our day, there is a remnant of spiritual Israel as well, worshipers of God in this world throughout every age until Christ returns. God will not forsake his people. He will not forsake his church, even though the world wars against it, even though it may be weak at times and in various places, even though it may be underground or persecuted, he will preserve his church. By his sovereign grace, he will redeem all of his people and save them from sin and idolatry. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, that is what God is telling Elijah here. Elijah, not all hope is lost. Not all have followed Baal. I am faithful. I have a people. My covenant has not failed. My promises have not failed. Brothers and sisters, this is something we must remember and live by today, especially in a culture and in a country that is increasingly turning away from the Lord. And increasingly, there's anger and opposition to God's people. And we may feel more and more alone and discouraged and outnumbered. And God says, I have a people. Elijah, you haven't seen your hopes and your dreams. Elijah, you feel all alone. I understand. I know. And what you need to see is that I am on the, on the throne. And my plans are good. I am not failing. I am preserving my people. I will be faithful. I will save all of my people. I'm at work in this world in both judgment and salvation. And Elijah gets a glimpse of this on the mountain. We're given a glimpse of this. As God speaks to him, as he gently teaches him. But what Elijah didn't know is that God had even greater things for him. Elijah was going to see wind and fire again in his life, but not in judgment, but rather in grace and mercy as God gently took Elijah from this life. As God gently took him from this veil of tears and transported him to glory as he is picked up in the chariot of fire. And more than that, many years later on another mountain, as God prepared to show the infinite depths of his faithfulness and his saving work in this world through Jesus on the cross, Elijah was given a glimpse of the glorified Jesus. Matthew 17 says, After six days, 
Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared with him Moses and Elijah talking with him. And a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. On Mount Horeb, Elijah hid his face. Still a sinner, still not able to see all that God was doing or would do. Still not able to see the full glory of God. But as Jesus prepared to suffer and die and rise again to save a great multitude, to save a remnant of sinners throughout every nation, he gave a glimpse of his stunning, brilliant, unshielded divine glory. And who was there to see it but Elijah. He's given this great joy and privilege of seeing and speaking with Jesus. Seeing God's full plan of redemption. His full plan of the ages coming together in the person of Jesus. God's son sent to earth to do what no other could do. Save sinners. Give life to the dead. Defeat sin and Satan and hell forever for all of his people throughout all the world. People of God, brothers and sisters, when you find yourselves in Elijah's shoes, when you find yourselves in this life confused and discouraged and worried and alone and not knowing what God is doing, not knowing what's next, weary in this world, Think of this day when God showed Elijah his power on the mountain and gently spoke to him. And think of this day when he showed him the full glory of Jesus on this other mountain, the person and work of his God and Savior. And think of Elijah right now in glory, beholding the glory of the risen Jesus. And know that one day soon, if your faith is in him, if your eyes are on your faithful God, you too will behold the glory of Jesus. And all of the suffering and pain and confusion and the evil and mystery of this world will melt away in the light of his glory, in the joy of his presence, in the completion of all of his plans. People of God, until then, carry out the work he's given you. Live and walk by faith. Keep looking to Jesus. Trust in your faithful God who is at work in this world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you for your ministry to Elijah and your ministry through him. Not only that day on Mount Horeb, but throughout his days. Lord, we thank you even more that you sent at the fullness of time Jesus Christ, who was able to do what Elijah could not. Lord, may we, by faith, look to Jesus. May we, by faith, see that you are faithful, that you are in control, that you are at work in this world, that you have not forsaken your people. 
that you preserve a remnant, you save all of your people, that you are good and wise and just and powerful. You are working all things together for your purposes, for your glory and for our good, even when we don't understand it or see it. Lord, teach us these lessons. Thank you for your word. Uh, Press these things into our hearts so that we might live by faith to your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.